Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, prediction Thursday. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Thanks, as always, to Heritage Digital for sponsoring the first part of the show. Uh, If your network at work is uh, gumming up, I guess is the best way to describe it, uh, please give those guys a call. My buddy Matt Odom, big Gamecock fan, and uh, would love to get in there, uh, provide you that service for one low monthly fee, uh, and uh, you'd be supporting a uh, sponsor of this podcast. And uh, I know you guys – the thousands of you that listen, I see the numbers and they're great, uh, probably would, um, you know, benefit from that, I would think. If you have a network at work, you're a business owner or whatever. Of course, we cater to business owners here with our sponsors. I help Consulting is obviously one of those, and we're going to get in the mailbag later. Uh, but first, some news and notes. Uh, lots of talk about Marcus Satterfield this week. South Carolina's offensive coordinator, you know him. Not sure you love the results. Or you love him uh, so far this year, you know, he and Clayton White, to their credit, to Shane Beamer's credit, I, I know you fans want to hear from the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and, you know, Muschamp had a different philosophy on that. So talking to those guys, I think, is uh, beneficial for transparency, for information, whatever. Uh, and and I don't, you know, look, coaches go in front of the media all the time. They talk. Uh, I think to Marcus's credit, he gives really straightforward answers. It's not always uh, easily in- interpreted or, or, you know, what you would call like, you know, accurate. You'd, you'd probably be like, well, what's he trying to say? But it's accurate in his mind. And uh, I appreciate that. There's no um, skirting uh, around questions or anger because of questions. You know, some people, some coaches don't like questions that, are hard to answer that they don't want to answer. Satterfield answers them. So I wanted to say something positive right off the bat. Um, and, and I don't sit there and complain about what coaches say to the media because, you know, you have to do media. It's your job. Uh, you get paid uh, to do it, um, especially if the head coach lets you. 
I think it's good for coordinators sometimes because fans and, you know, if they ever want to be a head coach, they kind of get familiar with the the personnel or the personality uh, and all that. So I think it's beneficial to them too. Uh, and I, I don't get caught up in it. I don't complain uh, much uh, about what they say. I will take exception to one thing though. Uh, and you gotta, you, you guys gotta think about this. It's, uh, it's the second time this has happened. And he mentioned that they have a young team. Okay. Let me try to like explain this as best I can. I, I there is no question that South Carolina on offense is young at certain spots, especially quarterback, which is the most important position on the field. And I think that's kind of what he's trying to say uh, when he says this. But you look around, I mean, okay, so who are who have been the top two receivers all year? Jalen Brooks and Josh Van, they're older players. Nick Muse is a way older player. All right, starting tight end. So there's three guys. The entire offensive starting offensive line, uh, depending on who's starting, all older players, third, fourth year guys, sometimes fifth year guys. All right, they've been playing SEC football for a while. Kevin Harris is an older player. I know Lloyd is not. I know McDowell is not. Zaquandre White, older player. Uh, Jaheim Bell, second year, younger player. Uh, so when you really dig into it, I, I, I'm, I'm not buying the youth. Now, are they young in whatever system this is supposed to be? Yes. But, again, I get back to the fact that your job as a coach is to implement something that's easily teachable at the college level. And it doesn't matter if it's their first year, okay? Uh, in college football, you have different players every year. You're cycling players through. I mean, it's, it's not like the pros where you have – a quarterback that can be there eight years and master the system and everything like that. And again, as I pointed out, that's the difference between college and the NFL. Uh, and inevitably, some years, I don't care if you're at Alabama or uh, Clemson or Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State, wherever, you're going to have a young quarterback you're going to have to depend on. And, you know, you have to have a system, in my opinion, that's adaptable that can get you through those times. Cause it doesn't matter where you're at South Carolina or Southern Cal, uh, you know, you're going to inevitably have that situation where, all right, we got a young guy. Um, we have a bunch of young offensive linemen this year that, you know, we got to count on. Uh, it doesn't need to be that complicated. And again, I, I've been beating this drum uh, for several weeks now, you know, uh, and I look back to the defense last season, NFL players on that defense, uh, both that are currently at Carolina and who left. Um, secondary was just shredded. Didn't look like they knew what they were doing. They were confused, guys. Confused. Uh, and that happened quite a bit under Muschamp. That's why they could never get it right at safety because, you know, you didn't really have the, the guys that, could go back there mentally and get it done. I mean, look, Jalen Foster this year, for example. Okay, so so here's a guy that's the epitome of right place, right time, knows his assignments, plays assignment football, goes out there and plays because he's comfortable with it, right? Look, completely lost and slow last year, you know? And, and that happens with that particular defensive scheme. Now, does it work? Absolutely. Look at Georgia. Same thing. But Georgia's got a big nose tackle, Jordan Davis. Georgia's got experience in the secondary. Their safeties play well. They've, they've been in that system for several years. Um, 
and they've got these athletes that uh, are now comfortable with it, and it's it's the greatest defense I've ever seen. But that that's defense too, you know. Uh, I think you can definitely overthink defense uh, at the college level, uh, and depending on where you're at, what kind of players you have access to, you know, you've got to make a decision as to what you want. Now, the defensive staff at South Carolina, and look, uh, before we sit here and crown everybody on that side of the ball, there are issues on defense, okay, uh, particularly against the run. They uh, need to get tighter there. I think they do miss Sherrod Green with some run fits. I think inside defensive linemen uh, and defensive ends could play a little better, stouter against the run. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not sitting there just saying South Carolina's got a dominant defense. But the defense is good enough, all right, to win. And that's all that matters. You know, especially this year when you're dealing with how many new faces in the secondary and you count the guys, you know, you got Brad Johnson at middle linebacker, his first year at that position, or Will linebacker, or who – I get confused. It's either – I think Johnson's at the mic, Staley's at the Will. Um, totally new system scheme, but to Cl- Clayton White's system is easy to teach and easy to learn, although it looks very complex at times on the field. And I think that's the key to any kind of scheme in college. You don't want it to look basic, right? Uh, but you want it to be easy to learn. And and that's kind of, you know, one of those things. I kind of, you know, and, and we'll see what the results end up being. And I'm not comparing the results and, and the production because that would be ludicrous of me to do. But, you know, if you think back, Steve Spurrier, uh, and I hate to keep bringing him up. I mean, he's two coaches ago. He's a Analyst at Florida, you know, the head ball coach, you know, is no longer at South Carolina and hasn't been for seven years. But it's an easy point of reference for you guys. His offense, you know, it looks complicated, doesn't it? It looks like, wow, you know, you got all these formations and, I mean, you know, well, there's about 10 primary plays passing game wise. Um, and I learned this because the playbook is downloadable and has been apparently for years and people still had trouble stopping it. Um, so, you know, my understanding from talking to the players and the play, and it is, yeah, you, there's a learning curve. You know, that's why some receivers early in their career, like Alshon Jeffrey really had to work on knowing the system because it's, it's a little tough on receivers because receivers have to, they're what you call option routes. Like, okay, so if it's this, you do this. And if it's this, then you do this. And you're not going to know until you get there. And the quarterback's got to sync up and time it. And they rep these plays over. And I mean, if you've ever been to a spur of practice, it's just over and over and over and over again until they get it. And most good passing offenses do. But once you get it, it it's awesome. It's a thing of beauty. You can go play free. Uh, and, that's why, you know, with his play calling and the fact that they knew the skit system, I mean, it was it was an offense that when it got rolling, even at South Carolina where they didn't put up as many points and everybody got on the same page, it was tough to stop, tough to scheme against, you know. Um, but it wasn't something that in, gosh, 10 and a half years, 22 and a half years of coaching in the SEC that was impossible for players to learn. You know, everybody sort of learned it. I mean, even the 2015 team, which was his worst team, and he resigned mid-year, you know, that Clemson game, you look at it, it's G.A. Mangus is dialing those plays up. It worked, you know. It, it worked. <laughs> and it's because players learned it, you know. And, and and that's the way the Carolina defense is right now. 
you know, do they are they talent deficient in some spots? Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that right now. I do think, you know, if you're one of these people that sits out there and gripes and moans, and and I've I've seen this pop up too, and it, it just kind of it, it's insulting to players, in my opinion, and it, it shows a sort of a lack of knowledge about recruiting and players and personnel. You know, people griping about the fact that Carolina's got FCS transfers and transfers from group of five and they need to go in the portal and get some power five guys. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know that when you look at the facts that that's the case because those group of five guys and, and those FCS guys that have come in are playing really well, you know, compared to what some people thought. All right. So, you know, and I think that's another thing with Carolina fans that, you know, as a fan base has to end, you know, at some point is unless some other program validates, you know, any kind of decision that's made around here, you know, then it's not good. And that's, that's just from 130 years of beating your head against the wall. And, you know, the few good times, you know, with head coaches have been, Hey, you know, this guy came from Notre Dame or Florida or wherever and was good. And I get that. I think it's something the fan base really has to work through. Uh, and it'll be easier to work through if they have success. But when, when you're talking about the transfers on defense, I mean, I think all, all those guys that have come from the lower levels, I mean, you know, have done well. EJ Jenkins, who's a player that the offense really needs to use more, he came from FCS. He's done well. You know, Jason Brown's improving at quarterback. That's the only guy that really hadn't played. You know, they got Jakeem Green from Nebraska and Amari Brown from Georgia Tech. Those are power five transfers. Green hadn't played a whole lot. And I don't I don't know what – I'd like to see them try to maybe take a deep shot to Brown at, at some point because that's really what he did at Georgia Tech successfully. But, you know, five catches for 26 yards, he hadn't – it made as much of an impact to say a Jordan Strong or a Carlin Splatel. Carlin Splatel came from D2. You know, that guy's a pretty physical guy that causes turnovers. He got a sack against Tennessee. Um, you know, so that that's something that's out there. And, you know, it is what it is, uh, you know, as far as that goes uh, in terms of guys you get from the portal, the right portal strategy. You just don't know. I mean, you just don't know kind of – I mean, and the portal is one of those things that, you know, you look around the country and you see what's happening at Michigan State and how much they've improved because of the portal. Um, you know, Tennessee with Hooker there alone, I'd say they were pretty successful with the portal, at least a quarterback and transfers in general because Tyon Evans is a JUCO. Um, and, and you know, you're looking, you look at Carolina. I mean, the defensive side of the ball – you know, there's a lot of guys coming in. And, and you know, a guy like Debo Williams has a very bright future. You know, uh, he goes and blocks two punts his first game at this level. Uh, and, and, you know, they came from FCS. So, I would encourage everybody out there, and I know it's hard, uh, to not panic and say, yeah, you got to go get all these other Power 5 guys. Uh, you know, I, I think the Gamecocks are going to have to hit the portal for the 2022 class. Uh, especially like at tight end because Oscar Delp was their guy. 
Uh, and I think you're going to see this more and more. You know, it used to be when it was just high school guys and you're just trying to recruit for the future. You know, you'd have a tight end, number one, and then you go, okay, well, he didn't come. We're only taking one. Let's go to the, our next guy. But now you can just basically focus on your top, top high school recruits. And, you know, heck, if, if, you, if you're not crazy or fired up about uh, your next guy on the board, you can just go hit the portal and find a guy it's worked. Um, and yes, Oscar Delp did commit to Georgia as expected. I, I, I think that, and look it, right now, Carolina struggling on offense. They don't look like, you know, you've seen it. I don't have to say it. Uh, you know, is that why Oscar Delp went to Georgia? Can you, can you just throw that on top of Marcus Satterfield as well? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that obviously, it's an easier decision when you look at what Georgia's doing this year and you, as opposed to Carolina. You look at the atmosphere at Sanford Stadium compared to Carolina where he comes came in for Troy, uh, and I'm not blaming fans uh, for that. It's just a point of comparison. Um, and you look at the fact that they really hadn't gotten the ball to the tight end a whole lot this year at South Carolina uh, after, you know, what was said. So, you know, you, you kind of – could factor that in it's not so much that the production hasn't been there the offense is a dumpster fire it was kind of you know it's been it was told to him one thing by offensive coordinator and then it ends up uh, being another so obviously you kind of look at it you know his mom said some great things about Shane Beamer as a recruit and all that and that's fine but you know when you grow up in Georgia uh your friends are all UGA. You're, you've got probably your friends at high school that aren't even football guys are going to UGA or your teammates that are just going as regular students. It's comfortable. You know, I mean, it's very comfortable. And when the dogs are rolling, they're rolling, right? So, uh, you know, that was going to be tough. I will say this. Eric Kimry did a great job recruiting him uh, to be a coach that just came out of high school. And this kind of shatters some of the myths out there about – you know, can this guy recruit or can that guy recruit? Uh, because around here, you know, we've had some guys, you know, Bobby Bentley and Mike Peterson were probably Muschamp's two best recruiters outside of Muschamp himself. You know, they got some players. And they were both analysts and never like what you call on-the-field coaches before coming to Carolina. So sometimes your better recruiters sometimes don't have that much experience because they come into college coaching and they're hungry and they get after it and they work it. You know, and some guys end up going, ah, I'm tired of doing this. <laughs> but Eric Kimry, you know, played every angle. He developed a great relationship. He made the decision very difficult from what my understanding is. Um, uh, it was just too much to overcome. Everything was too much to overcome. But I I was impressed, though, with getting in there and, and establishing that. And, and when you're talking about highly regarded players and recruiting battles and stuff, you know, when you talk about the portal, uh, nowadays it's it's really, you know, recruiting there's like winners and losers. It's black and white. You either get them or you don't. Um, there's no points for second place. Uh, but with the portal and the era that we're in in college football, uh, you just never know. So it's always in your best interest to maintain a good relationship and to build that relationship because you never know. Now, I'm not sitting here predicting Oscar Delp's going to transfer. I would never do that. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, you just, you, you never know things happen. You know, it's, it's, you know, I say many times, these are not robots. These are human beings, uh, these football players and things happen in life. And so, uh, it's not as like, you know, you, when you finish second before, before the portal era, you're like, ah, you know, you, all that work and you didn't get it. Well, with the portal, you, you still kind of have like, all right, well, you know, we still had a good relationship and, you know, you never know what may happen. <laughs> you may get him down the road. So, uh, good job by Eric Kimry. Uh, who I think's done a fantastic job this year with the tight ends, all things considered. Uh, you know, you can't blame him for the offensive, you know, failure to get him the ball. Uh, but they performed well. And um, for the most part, is it perfect? No. Nick Muse probably needs to block better. Uh, but uh, Nick Muse will tell you that probably. I'm not saying something that's a mystery there. But uh, – Kimry's done a great job. I mean, look at Trey Kenyon. Trey Kenyon wasn't the guy that was supposed to play. He caught his first pass of his career on Saturday against Tennessee. He's in a lot of plays. He's a good blocker. I mean, the kid, he's come a long way. And, and, and he was one that needed to kind of reshape and dedicate himself physically. And he's still got a ways to go, but Kimry's brought him along. Um, Kimry's kept Muse and Bell and those guys kind of engaged. I mean, it's been a tough season. So you got to do some some coaching and some loving up and patting on the back and explaining and talking uh, to to your group because ultimately, like I said, these aren't robots; they're they're people, they're college kids, uh, and this this generation of college kids we have now don't they're, they're high tolerance for BS because they've all been on their phone and their internet, the internet, their entire lives. So I, I think that probably they're very knowledgeable <laughs> uh, about things because they've had actually, it's like living in like when, when we all grew up, I'm 44, you had to go to a library to get information. But with these guys, it's like they grew up in a library, you know, uh, with an encyclopedia in their hand. So they're smart people and, and they're different. You know, they're different. You, you got to kind of approach it in a different manner. That's why, you know, some people get on Shane Beamer about the sunshine and rainbows and, the, the undisciplined play and well, he's not, he's, he's, he just, he needs to be tougher on the guys or whatever. Uh, you got to be careful with that because you get tuned out quick, you know, and, and it's not necessarily about the rights, the, 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 you know, what your opinion is or my opinion is of the right style to instill toughness or whatever. Um, it's about how to reach these guys these days. So, uh, and that's something that I think Eric Kimry, you know, may probably doesn't get mentioned a lot is outstanding at, he's amazing, you know, at that. And there's a reason, you know, when working with young people, he was success as successful as he was at, at Hammond as the head coach and, and developing players and winning games and championships and all that. Uh, he's kind of got the secret sauce, uh, to reach some of these guys. So kudos to him. Uh, for the Delp recruitment. But Delp is going to Georgia. Be curious to see what happens at tight end as far as maybe what type of tight end they target in the portal, if that's what indeed happens, if a high school guy doesn't show up, what's you know what's going to happen in that position. Um, hopefully, maybe they start catching some passes. <laughs> you know, I, 
I, I've been saying since the beginning, get the ball to Jaheim Bell a little more, and and it seems like when they do, good things happen. Jaheim's a heck of a player. I, you know, I, I was sitting there thinking, I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast earlier this week, but you know, the spring game. I mean, what what? <laughs> you watch the first drive of the spring game; it's very vanilla, right? And uh, as spring games are, and, and the Gamecocks were in base defense or whatever. But you look at the plays and, and all that, you know, oh, well, you know, these are pretty good design plays. Um, it was a lot of running. I mean, they get down there close. You have Bell at fullback and I think White at tailback, and they just handed it to Bell and he scored. I mean, that that probably would have been maybe if you wanted to dig into something that uh, you have not used here yet against Tennessee, maybe that was a good idea. I don't know. I'm not a play caller. But um, anyway, so, so so that's the deal with all that. Uh, wanted to just kind of go through that here on Prediction Thursday on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, talk about Delp, talk about the portal a little bit. Um, you know, people are starting to kind of panic about recruiting. I would not do it. Uh, you know, it's a top 25 class right now. They're kind of in the range they always are. Uh, I felt that was important, you know, uh, to at least get there. Uh, they've won some battles. They've got some good players coming in. Um, you know, I, I think that it's kind of crazy because, you know, I think there's some people out there that now have attached their wagons to Antonio Williams from Dutch Fork. Uh, this class is going to be a disaster if you don't get Williams. Uh, Williams is very important. And, and I agree. He's, you know, probably one of the top – he's the, the probably the top overall target remaining out of the high school ranks. Um, but you got some good players. you got a heck of a class of DBs. The Gamecocks have reestablished themselves recruiting-wise in Florida. Uh, they've established inroads in the Northeast, the Atlantic East area. Uh, Braden Davis, say what you want, he's got a tremendous amount of upside. And – you know, he's a guy that when he committed, you kind of look at and go, well, he's probably got to develop. If you watch him this year, he's gotten – he's developed quite a bit. You know, here's a guy that's 6'5", 215 pounds, really good arm, accurate passer, and can run. You know, there, there's not, you know, a, 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 a extremely low floor in this high ceiling. He's got a pretty high floor right now. Now, can he come in and start next year? I don't. Uh, that may be a bridge too far. But you're talking about a four-star guy with a lot of offers. Um, you know, you, you, you look at, again. I mentioned the DB class. Uh, I think there's really good defensive lineman committed uh, in Brian Thomas as an edge guy and Jamal Weish, uh, and they got more on the radar. Uh, you know, losing Jaden Gibson to Florida and Jamari Lyons to Florida, that was to be expected, uh, along with Delp. Um, but it would have been great to get those guys. There, there's no question, all three of them, because you're going and winning. When, when, when recruiting really starts to get going in a way that can make people really excited and that can, can really change your program, uh, it, it's when you go into somebody's backyard and you take a great player or potentially great player. Not everybody's great. Um, but you look at it. I mean, look at Clemson a few years ago. Uh, I use them as an example, like I always say, because you guys are familiar with Clemson. You know exactly who I'm talking about, rather than me you know, saying, I oh, look at Boise State. and <laughs> I don't know who that is. Um, 
but you look at it, Trevor Lawrence, if it were the early 2000s or the 90s, he'd probably gone to Tennessee or Georgia. T. Higgins definitely would have gone to Tennessee. Amari Rogers is, you know, T. Martin's son. He'd have probably gone to Tennessee. Travis Etienne probably wouldn't have left Louisiana for LSU. Uh, Justin Ross probably would have gone to Alabama or Auburn. Uh, so I, I just listed like five or six big time difference makers up there that they ended up going and getting. And that's when you go from what they were in 2016 to what they were in 2018. Same thing with Alabama. I mean, look at all the players they have that they've swiped out of other people's backyards. You know, I got elite players from Georgia, the elite players from South Florida, uh, quarterback from California. Uh, offensive linemen from all over the country, and, and and you look and you're like, well, you know, normally if Alabama wasn't up, those guys would go to Southern Cal, that kind of thing. Um, now, can you get to a high level recruiting regionally and in your own state? Yes, you can. You know, I, I'm not – I think it's unrealistic to think South Carolina is going to go win all these recruiting battles against the powers that be. Right now, you've got to recruit well enough to take steps. You've got to recruit well enough uh, to where you're not in a year, two, three years down the road when these guys are really going to have to go start doing the playing, most of them, uh, that you're not taking a tremendous dip because you don't have the talent anymore because you signed a bunch of busts. Uh, so you got to make good evals. You got to have numbers. And you know, if you're South Carolina, that's uh, that's what you've got right now. Um, and and with the portal, too, able to kind of, you know, buffer that, uh, you know, I think South Carolina's recruiting is in good shape. I mean, I, I really, really do, um, despite the losses. You know, you gave it the old go. Uh, and, and like I said, it, it's not a bad deal finishing second and having a great relationship because of the portal these days. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that get to Florida that end up not liking it. So there you go with Gibson and Lyons. <laughs> uh, Georgia, different matter. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a situation where uh, I don't think it's it, – it, I think people need to think before you just start going off on the whole program right now because of one thing that's very frustrating that uh, I've been highly critical of and will continue to be until things change. Uh, but the rest of it, you know, you, you've got to sort of compartmentalize as fans and, and look at it for what it is. You know, here's what it is, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've seen some ridiculous takes after the Delp thing. And it, it, it wasn't a meltdown because it was expected, but I've seen some people just, you know, because they're mad because the offense sucks right now. Uh, all of a sudden recruiting's not any good. I mean, you know, and, and that's that's part of being a fan and all that. But I would just encourage all of you guys to to keep rolling uh, with it and to uh, compartmentalize and, and say, okay, let's look at this for what it is instead of attaching every single thing in the program uh, to a dumpster fire on offense. All right, so that's news and notes, Heritage Digital. They're not really news and notes, are they? It's kind of the opening monologue. Maybe I'll start talking about that. The opening monologue uh, to the show. Uh, and it's time for Prediction Thursday. want to be uh, very, very thankful to the uh, 
weekly Gamecock score prediction sponsor, Cindy Searfoss with Colwell Banker Real Estate. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan who's also a heck of a coach. She's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. I'm a Spartanburg native. She's right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue. And you can contact her via phone, 864-414-5271, or email her, csearfoss at cbcane.com, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Visit the website, Coldwell Banker Kane, Cindy Searfoss, married to a diehard game card, 35 years of experience. You know, I know, folks, people are looking to buy things, sell things. Real estate is a very interesting situation right now in our country. Uh, and you probably need help if you're looking, if you're looking to buy or sell. Uh, and I think Cindy is the absolute best person that can help you. Sparmer, Greenville, Anderson, Gaffney, wherever in the upstate, 864-414-5271. Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast and Prediction Thursday. Vanderbilt is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. Vanderbilt is coming to town. And they come bearing gifts for this allegedly young team at South Carolina. I still can't believe they said that. It's not a young team. Look at your roster. Um, Vandy's struggling, folks. We, we always talk about year zero and, you know, uh, opinions I have soundly rejected when we're talking about the Gamecocks are that this is some kind of disastrous roster that Muschamp left behind. That's not true. That's not true. Because they Carolina would be struggling a lot like Vanderbilt is if that were the case, and they're not. There's one part of the team right now that's uh, confused, a dumpster fire, not good. Uh, the rest of it's pretty solid, you know, even with having to replace all those DBs. So um, look at Vanderbilt because they, you know, the, the two wins they have, those are great. That's a great coaching job by Clark Lee. I mean, th- this is a team that lost its opener to East Tennessee State by 20 points on their home field. Now, teams change week to week. They got up off the mat. They went to Fort Collins, Colorado, won a game. Uh, then in something that I thought was unfair to the players that are playing their asses off at Vandy and UConn, everybody kind of had the spotlight on that game. <laughs> uh, and Vandy won. They beat UConn 30-28. to 28. It was close, probably telling about the personnel they have at Vandy right now and what they're trying to do, but they won. They won twice. Uh, And I think that's a great coaching job. Uh, But these guys are not very good. This is not one of those years where Vandy's cycling up. You know, Derek Mason, to me, when he was hired, uh, you know, I understood the hire. Derek Mason was a guy that had a lot of, um, I guess, reputation. I think he's doing a good job as the DC at Auburn right now. Um, you know, came coming from Stanford, it seemed like a fit. But the minute he came in and and, and kind of said, we're going to be just like Stanford in terms of scheme and what they do. Stanford, James Franklin won nine games two years in a row at Vandy. He had a he had a nice uh, spread offense that was kind of adaptable to either a running quarterback or a passer. Um uh, he really benefited from Bobby Johnson. One of his second to last class was really good. Uh, and they had redshirted some guys and developed some guys. And he benefited from inheriting a lot of those players. 
And then he kept that recruiting kind of at that Johnson level where, you know, Vandy would win some recruiting battles. James Franklin, very dynamic guy uh, in terms of recruiting. And I know the opinions are mixed on him out there, but uh, that's what he did. It kept the talent level up. They win nine games two years in a row. They took advantage of some teams being down for sure. And then they got a lot of those guys back. So in comes Derek Mason, says, we're going to run, we're going to switch it up on defense, run a three-man front like Stanford. We're going to run a pro-style offense like Stanford. That's a death sentence. A death sentence. A death sentence when you're at Vanderbilt. Uh, and they uh, and I picked them to go winless in 2014 uh, in the SEC. And I got, you know, the, the seven Vanderbilt fans that are active on the internet blasted me. Just killed me for it. Sure enough, 0-8 in the SEC. So that, that there's one that you can say I was right about, but nobody else expected. Um, and I just knew it because, I mean, it's, it's kind of like when you talk about square pegs and round holes, when you talk about the Gamecock offense right now. Now, there are different issues because when I say pro-style offense at Vandy in 2014, what I'm talking about is I-formation, rock-throwing contest football. You know, that's kind of what he tried to do rather than the kind of fun to play in scheme that they could execute. I mean, it was, it was, it was very telling. I was in Nashville at the time, very telling that he was going to be a disaster, but he beat Tennessee probably more than any other Vanderbilt coach has. Uh, and that kept him going, snuck into a few bowl games, pulled some upsets at Georgia home against Missouri a couple of years ago when they didn't look like they had it in them. Uh, but finally, last year, the powers that be up there said, this is awful. We have to do a change. So they hire Clark Lee. And Vandy last year had some serious personnel issues with opt-outs and things. This year is not much better. It is, by all accounts, a year zero. One of the worst ones I've seen in this league. I mean, it's a worse situation than the one Mason took over for sure and Franklin took over for sure. And probably going back to Bobby Johnson, who took over a, a program that was down, uh, you know, thinking back, and that was like 02, 03 when he took over. I was thinking 02 was his first year, took over from Woody Wiedenhofer. I would say this is a worse situation than he took over to. And if you remember Bobby Johnson, it, it took him five years to get them to a somewhat competitive spot. And I think that's what Clark Lee has in front of him. Um, these days with the portal, as I've mentioned earlier, you can kind of turn it around quicker. So it's probably not, if he does turn it, it's not going to take five, five or six years, but they need all the help they can get. Uh, th this team is not talented personnel wise overall. They don't play, they play hard. They play hard, uh, and, and they play tough. And that's sort of what you want when you're in this situation. If you're Clark Lee is because if you play hard and you play tough, when games come like Colorado State and UConn that you're in, that you're trying to win, you're going to win them. And they have. Congratulations to them. The problem is, in a lot of games, you're not in it. They've been outscored 104 to nothing in two SEC games. And they did play Georgia and Florida. Both uh, Georgia was in Vandy. I mean, Georgia was in Nashville. Um, Florida was in the swamp. So they've been shut out twice. Told you about the 23 to 3 loss to ETSU. They played Stanford pretty tough. 41-23 was the final, but they, they they were competitive for a half. Um, and really kind of it's been 
you know, an every other game kind of thing as to whether or not they show up and or, or not show up. They're playing hard. They even played hard against Georgia, even though they got killed. Um, whether or not things work. Uh, and against SEC defenses, they've been, you know, obviously shut out twice. So that's tough. But Vanderbilt's in a tough spot. Uh, you know, I have respect for Clark Lee as a coach. Uh, I have respect for him for taking that job. Um, I know some people on that staff. Uh, I think they got some good coaches. They got a good plan in recruiting. Um, but this is not anything similar to the situation any of the other first-year head coaches at, 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 in the SEC took over. This is this is a, a program that was not good under Derek Mason that has gone – that eroded during his tenure – late tenure and 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 there's not there's just not a whole lot left i mean compared to Derek mason will muschamp left a cadillac at south carolina you know if you want to go like that and i don't you know i don't i think muschamp left more players behind than steve spurrier or lou holtz but uh, as far as overall talent maybe not at certain maybe not at, at like wide receiver like you, you know you're sitting there thinking or or certain positions but uh Overall, yeah, you know, players in the program. Uh, you're not starting from scratch. Vanderbilt is starting from scratch. Uh, Vanderbilt on total defense, 114th in the country, giving up 425 yards a game. Gamecocks are 37th. Total offense, yeah, they're kind of roughly the same. Gamecocks 111th, Vandy 121. Rush defense. And, and like I said earlier, the Gamecocks rush defense has to get better. And this is a game Vandy's backs are – yeah, they got one little guy, Rock. Uh, what's his name? Rock, the Rock. We'll just call him Rock. He's a he's five six, two hundred ten pound guy that uh, he can make some things happen. Has a nice spin move. Uh, but they're one hundred twelfth in rush defense, and Gamecocks are eighty first, one hundred fifty eight yards a game. Pass defense, Carolina's twelfth, Vandy's ninety seventh, two hundred fifty one yards a game. Scoring defense. 117th for Vandy, 36 points a game, 41st for South Carolina. Uh, both teams have lost some turnovers this year. This, this surprised me because the Gamecocks are 29th in turnover margin, but 109th in turnovers committed with 10. Vandy's turned it over 13 times. Vandy's also 123 in turnover margin. You want to know something about this defense at Vanderbilt? I have four interceptions on the year, and then they've only forced one fumble and recovered none. So they're not getting many breaks or bounces either uh, on that defense. So, you know, that's kind of the statistical thing. The ESPN FBI, I think this is since Eastern Illinois, the, you know, biggest statistical chance South Carolina has to win 92.6. Gamecocks, I think, are 18-point favorites, according to Vegas. Um, Four o'clock kickoff, SEC Network. Uh, Hopefully a good crowd, you know. Uh, when things are not going so hot. Uh, and I said yesterday, you know, I think crowd-wise because of COVID, um, there's a certain amount of people in, in, in the population that don't want to go to big crowds right now. And I, don't, I don't blame them. I respect that. Uh, and that's affected attendance everywhere. I still think the TV thing uh, affects attendance. And at Carolina specifically, you know, you, you've had some issues with – long, long beer lines and concession lines and all that, and they don't have enough workers. I mean, you read, you know, in our country right now, there's a supply chain issue because there's not enough workers. It's, it's kind of bizarre. Nobody can really – I mean, there's really not a good answer as to why. And the university has been 
begging people, you know, to even come, if you, you know, if you love Carolina, come volunteer with us for a weekend or we'll pay you or whatever. So they're actively trying to fix it. But, you know, man, you're sitting there, Gamecocks are three and three. It's four o'clock kickoff. It's Saturday. You got a honey-do list for the morning. Maybe you live in like Buford or Charleston, James Island, wherever. And you know, it's a beautiful day. You've got a deck. You've got a flat screen TV. Uh, you got a refrigerator out wherever on your deck. You want to grill some steaks. I mean, sometimes the temptation to stay in Charleston versus come to Columbia is great when things aren't well and when it's not against a good opponent. So I get that. I get those that are tempted to stay home because of that. Um, what I don't get is the pro- the people, the protesters. You know, I, I'm not going because of the product on the field and Ray Tanner. You know, I have heard that. Somebody canceled their season tickets because of Ray Tanner. Those people are very small in terms of numbers. <laughs> uh, I tend to think they don't get it as far as, you know, what actually facilitates change in a football program. Uh but but those guys, you know, I mean, and they're loud too on the internet. Uh, so if you're a protester, you know, I don't, that's what I'm going to label you as as a protester. When there's empty seats Saturday, don't don't you dare think that this is because of you know the unhappiness with what's on the field. There are many factors at work when it comes to college football attendance, and so, and it's South Carolina specifically. So. Uh, I don't want you to think for a minute that you're doing any good or facilitating any kind of change. You're really on your own, and there's very few of you. I know you're loud when we hear from you, but that that's that. And, and you know, so I don't expect a big crowd uh, Saturday for, for, for obvious other reasons besides we don't like what's going on. You know, well, Ray Tanner needs to step in and fire the offensive core. I mean, yeah, come on, man. Just ridiculousness. Um, but I do think there's valid reasons for people not to show, you know, and I, and I went through those COVID, uh, the, the lure of staying at home, uh, when the opponent's not all that good. I mean, you know, it's not a great game. You know, Carolina's crowd showed up for the opener in Kentucky. Uh, Troy was in, you know, uh, but Hey, look, you win here, Florida comes in here in a couple of weeks. It'll be a bigger crowd. It'll be a bigger crowd. Clemson and Auburn, bigger crowd. You know, Vanderbilt's just not very good, and uh, there's an expectation to win. So how do I see this game going? I, I, You know, every week I pick a score. You know, last week, 31-14 Tennessee. It was 45-20. I'm, I've actually been closer than I want to be, honestly. I picked 17-12 against Troy. It's 23-14. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I – Theoretically, South Carolina should be able to get well on both sides of the ball against the Commodores Saturday. Theoretically, if you're just looking at the players on each team, it should be a you know 42 to three type of blowout. But theoretically, there's a lot of games that you know when you just talk about players and what's on each roster that that should have gone differently. Uh, and right now, the, there's problems on the offensive side of the ball. And you got a Vanderbilt team that's going to come in here thinking this is their shot to get a win because South Carolina ultimately on offense has not been able to score all year. And, and that's when upsets happen. If you can't score, you know, anybody can stay in the game with you. 
You know, you can come up with a, a and then if he gets a low scoring game there toward the end, all it takes is one miscue by your secondary, a bust, which happens. All of a sudden, they're throwing it past you, setting up the game-winning field goal or, or scoring a touchdown. That's just the reality of when you can't go score. And when you play teams like Tennessee that are momentum teams, tempo teams, uh, and you can't respond with your offense like the Gamecocks failed to do, that's the result that's going to happen. That's the result. Uh, so it's hard for me to, 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 to you know, sit here and predict – healing it's hard for me to sit here and predict the offense is going to come out of its shell it's hard for me to sit here and say that carolina should steamroll vanderbilt it's hard hard I don't, and look don't care who the opponent was unless it's eastern illinois that was an opener so you know as bad as vanderbilt is uh you know with the way things have been going i, I just don't expect Anything to change dramatically this weekend. Now, is South Carolina going to win the football game? Absolutely. Uh, will South Carolina's defense, I think, pretty much shut them down? I I, I will predict that right now. Uh, I think it's a get-well game, especially for the defense. But with the way this offense bogs down through a multitude of reasons – you know, with the way the play calling has been, with the complete lack of rhythm, with confusion on the offensive line still, with the inability to run the football and the inability to put it in the end zone, I can't pick Carolina to score that many points. Um, so here's my prediction for the football game. South Carolina 23, Vanderbilt 3. Uh, it won't be the prettiest game. 20-point uh, win, though, they'll cover. Uh, but I, 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 you know, I just – until the offense goes out and is cohesive and does it. And, you know, you, you don't have a situation like Troy where they stall and do whatever, you know, I can't pick them to do it against whoever, you know, I don't, I don't care who they're playing. Uh, and right now it's the dumpster fired and, and, you know, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they get well. I mean, look, I'll eat. We're at the halfway point of the season. If, if, if the, the offense miraculously turns it around, uh, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to have a lot of questions still as to why it took that long, and I'm going to still question the complexity of the scheme because it shouldn't take that long. I still think there are very valid questions as to whether or not you can run this, that kind of thing. Uh, and, again, because you have new players every year in college, and inevitably you're going to be young. And if it's complex, you know, good coaches scale it back. I've never seen a play caller that's good not scale it back. And that's not happening this year. But there's a lot of good play callers do X and the Y and Y is happening this season. But if they do that, you know, I'm I'll, not going to be critical. I'll be happy. I'll be happy for you guys, happy for the team, happy for Marcus Satterfield, happy for the players. Because if they turn it around, that's, that probably means South Carolina will go to a bowl and have success and win some games. But as it stands right now, nine-game SEC losing streak for this program, uh, complete lack of cohesion on offense, uh, performance relative to talent is lacking. And, again, I'll clarify this. I mean, some of you out there want to blame on players and just say, ah, they just don't have the players. Well, 
No, you, you look around. Last year, you know, you kind of say, hey, uh, you've got what? You, you've got an offensive line that's serviceable, uh, especially decent to good at run blocking. Uh, Kevin Harris had a breakout year. Deshaun Fenwick got his yards. Nick Muse could catch passes. Shai Smith could catch passes. Nobody else catching passes. And then you had Colin Hill out back there that lost all faith in his receivers by the by the time it was all said and done. Not mobile, so you got to protect him, and you got what you got. Disaster. I mean, losing LSU 50 – and then the defensive problems. I mean, losing LSU 52-24 last year was just an unbelievably bad letdown of a game after beating Auburn, which, by the way, was the last time Carolina won an SEC game. Um. Anyway, that was last year. Carolina player-wise, it was tough. Well, this year, let's see who's playing now that's a good playmaker that wasn't a good playmaker. Well, Josh Van, let's start with that. Uh, Jalen Brooks has improved. I know some of you know, I know some of the drop situations have happened, but you know, knock on wood, last couple of weeks he's caught things. Um, Jaheim Bell is a baller. There's three guys that you didn't that weren't out there making plays last year. So all right. Subtract Shy Smith. So you got two. All right. EJ Jenkins is a good playmaker. That's three. Marshawn Lloyd can make plays. That's four. Juju McDowell can make plays. That's five. You know, we think Amarian Brown, if you send him deep, can make plays. I won't count him. Until you do it, you do it. But whereas Nick Muse is still on the roster, there's so there's nets, net plus six in the playmaker category. Now, are these guys elite? Are these guys like uh, Alabama's receivers last year? No. But it didn't like, you know, there, there, there's it like there's no talent. You know, every offensive lineman's back, except one, Hutcherson. You say all you want about missing him, good player. I love Sidarius Hutcherson, but that's that's not why the line struggled. Um Adam Prentice at fullback last year was a big key in, in the run game a lot of the time. So now Trey Jones, I guess, is the fullback. I'd like to see them use that a little more. But then you're also putting Luke Doty under center. We saw the fumble there. I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of questions. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that losing Adam Prentice and Sedarius Hutcherson has wrecked the offense compared to what it was last year, where, where production-wise it wasn't very good. And you head into this season, and you're concerned about the offense. I think there was hope that the defense with the defensive line, you know, could could be good. You know, offense, not so much. Got question marks, that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm not even focused really on the production um, outside of the fact they they don't score touchdowns. You know, one touchdown per game, that's that's not – that's not you know that, that you know I you expect more like okay these guys these guys aren't going to be able to get into a shootout and get a game in the forties because they're not that good you know that kind of talent lack not these guys are worse than the ninety nine Gamecocks which had massive amounts of in, injuries and no quarterback and you're playing walk ons at quarterback and all that there's, there's no way that should be the case um. So, so till, till Carolina does it on offense, I can't, I can't predict anything better. Uh, I will predict a twenty-point win, though. And as I've said many times, winning is what's important, and we all know that. 
And yeah, you, you, you know, you don't want to lose this game if you're Shane Beamer. I mean, you, you lose this game, things are going to start to unravel quickly. And it's going to turn into a very, very negative type of situation. Um, and, and, and they've worked really hard as a staff, you know, vast majority, to kind of implement positivity, positive reinforcement, love for your teammate, the types of things that bond a team. And to Carolina's credit, when you watch them play, regardless of the score, they're playing hard. They are. They're, the, the guys are trying. It's not – especially on offense, it's not a lack of effort. I know it looks like it sometimes with the offensive line, but because I've seen every single one of these guys not, you know, look slow or not turn a guy loose or not do this and, and look quick on their feet, I know what kind of athletes they are, um, that's confusion. That's mentally, you know, that when you when you're confused as a as a ball player, you play much slower than when you're not, uh, and that's in any sport really. You don't know what to do. You know, basketball same way. Um, it's tentative. You're you're more concentrating on not making a mental mistake, and your body does not react because you're thinking too much. Um. So those guys are playing hard, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. And I agree with Shane Beamer, Tyson, Tyshawn Wanamaker, and Vinnie Murphy got in there in the second half and played pretty well. You know, maybe those guys, you know, maybe the older guys are maybe setting their ways, and that's hard, that's hard for them. to make. If, if Wanamaker and, and – I'll say this. If Wanamaker and Murphy – I mean, I hate it if this is the case, and I don't know this to be the case. I mean, you, you have to watch – They'd have to start those two guys, and you'd have to see how things went and all that to make a determination. I know they played well against Tennessee the second half, but take that with a grain of salt. Um, so, you know, Wanamaker, Murphy, you know, if they are the guys that know it better than Wanam and Gwen, then those guys need to play because, you know, no offense to Wanham and Gwen, and I feel really bad for those guys because they played their butts off for Carolina for multiple years and played well. You know, but if if the other guys can get it done better, they need to they need to make a change. You got to do all you can, right, to set your team up for success. And if that's a change, making changes on the offensive line, that's fine. Uh, you know, they're starting to get it to Bell a little more. You know. EJ Jenkins and Josh Van playing the same spot is a disaster personnel wise. As far as uh, what you're trying to do, you know, if they continue to run the daggum joiner package, I know a lot of you are going to scream. Um, who knows? Maybe it works um, sometime. I don't know. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of, lot of issues there offense. So 23 3. That is my prediction for the game. And now it is time for the I Help Consulting Mailbag. And I will tell you about I Help Consulting. And I've told you about Daniel Owens, who owns I Help Consulting, and how you can save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom. Anything you want without sacrificing quality, but you may be wondering how it works, and it's very simple. You can call or text Daniel 
Set up a quick phone call or face-to-face meeting. And Daniel is then going to examine where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying junk fees or if your rates are too high. Now you're like, JC, how does this work? I don't like consultants, and I'm with you. I've told you the story about radio consultants, and I I think a lot of them are what we call full of wind and hot air. Uh, And uh, I wish I could have a job like that. How about that? Um, But then there's some some areas like this where you need a consultant, right? Uh, And this guy ain't going to charge more than he's worth. He may be thinking, well, they could save me three grand a year, but they may charge me four. Well, that's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year's savings. Not only that, if they can't save you money, you don't owe I help a dime. Uh, So I I would really encourage everybody that owns a business, uh, get with Heritage Digital. and They're going to fix your system and your network and keep your internet. And Because we all do business online nowadays. They're going to keep you running fast so you don't, you don't waste valuable time with your system being down. I mean, gosh, I know some people, good Lord, uh, <laughs> running like windows, whatever. <laughs> when I worked for newspapers in the beginning of uh, the 2000s, we ran windows 95, had to get a, had to produce a newspaper on windows 95. That's awesome. Uh, so that's, that's heritage digital though. I help consulting after you call heritage and you get that squared, squared away. They're going to look at things like how much are you paying Comcast or Time Warner? You know, how much are you paying your bank? Your credit card processing fees is someone that relies on that for my business. I know that's huge. That's Daniel Owens that I help. So call or text him, 843-372-5713. Get him, give him a shot. Tell him I sent you. You're not going to be uh, upset at all, I think. I think he'll make you very happy. Daniel will make you happy. Uh, and there's two ways to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. First and foremost, you could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please, 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 please uh, follow that Twitter account. We've got how many followers? Almost to 700. That's not bad these days uh, when you talk about following a Twitter account because it used to be you can get hundreds of thousands of followers. We had remember we had Follow Friday. Uh, you get a lot then, but, um, you know, nowadays it's just kind of, I don't know. It's harder to get that. So anyway, uh, that's one way. The other way is to just send me an email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. First one comes in from my man, Tristan. He's like, without mentioning any names, I made contact with a coach who has a relationship with some coaches on the staff. So long story short, and I have the playbooks from some of the best offensive minds in NFL and college. Some are very similar to our schemes, but the guy did tell me that, as most of us know, our system is made up of a mixture of Oklahoma, LSU, and the Panthers. See, that Panthers part, I don't – you know, look, the Panthers are – I would encourage all of you to not look at the results of the Panthers and go, well, that works. Works in the NFL. All right. The the Panthers really shouldn't have been a part of this. You know, sure, you learn some stuff in the NFL, but that's not some of that stuff is not applicable to college football. Uh, If they're going to do a Brady thing, it should have been mostly LSU. And then, you know, Lincoln Riley's run a pretty good offense out of Oklahoma. Use that. I mean, the Panther stuff and and it's uh, red doesn't like the NFL. (laughs) He's like, ah, it ruins my Sunday. 
he's honoring. Uh, but anyway, so I mean, you know, they, they did a maybe the red flag should have come sooner for me because I, I and I don't know why. Maybe I drank the Kool Aid a little bit. Uh, maybe the thought of putting together something like this was intriguing. Uh, here's probably the red flag uh, that I missed and should have maybe hammered it in a little more. Um, you know, they did a coach's virtual Zoom clinic in the spring or whatever, and it was Dallas Cowboys stuff, Panthers stuff, LSU stuff some, but it was a lot of NFL heavy. And if you listen, listen to some of the talk, NFL comes up a lot for a guy that's only coached in that league as an assistant offensive line coach for a year. All right. Um, so maybe that should have been a red flag for me. I, uh, you know, cause I've, I've always believed college offense it, and it's, it's true. Like not everybody can go to the NFL like Cliff Kingsbury and adapt and, and have a successful offensive system. You know, Chip Kelly did that to a certain extent, but ended up getting fired. Steve Spurrier didn't work. Bobby Petrino couldn't work. You know, there, there's very few people that can take their system to pro ball and adapt it because it's ultimately two different types of styles of play. I mean, up there, like, you know, you have to be complex. You can't be simple. That was Spurrier's problem in the NFL with his offense, by the way. It was uh, it's hard as hell to defend on the college level, but it's just not complex enough uh, to where the the defensive minds and the people that have all week to work on it couldn't stop it. Plus players, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's players are, you know, pretty good. So Spurrier struggled with trying to figure out the matchups that were favorable. You know, I mean, they didn't have, yeah, like if Steve, let's say Steve Spurrier had coached the 49ers where they had Jerry Rice, John Taylor and Rathman at fullback. And, oh, she was there running. Roger Craig and, you know, all those guys. Good tight end. I think tight end was Brent Jones, wasn't it? Let's say Spurrier coached those guys where they've got a matchup uh, advantage even in the NFL. Heck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did, he did probably lit people up. But, you know, Redskins, unfortunately, didn't have it. But I've, I've seen it too much. I mean, it took for it not – for me not to think that. And so maybe that was a – folks, I'll admit it. Maybe I, was a, I missed the red flag there because because I did think it was odd. I was like, you're showing all these NFL things and what about – it's supposed to be a college offense here. And I've always been against pro style. But then, you know, on the flip side of that, I guess I sort of convinced myself when, when you start thinking about innovation in the last five, six years in college football, I mean, people sort of caught up to the Gus Malzahn stuff. You know, people have adjusted to the traditional air raid like Leach likes to run, although I would take Mike Leach calling plays. I don't know. I'd probably go crazy about the run game. <laughs> that way, I think he had negative eight rushing yards the other day. But but the air raid can still work. I mean, you know, the modified air raid's even better uh, in college. And I think you could adapt some of those principles to the pros as well, like they've done with the Chiefs and the Cardinals. But – you know, you, you sort of look around, and, and and I think I got caught up with, all right, Brady meets Lincoln Riley. The, the run game that they used with Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma was really good. Doty could do that. I still think Doty could do that. I, you know, some people are out there 
talking about how Doty can't run. And I, I agree, Doty's probably a tick slower than he should be, but he can still run. He can still get yards. Think about the beginning of the second half against Kentucky. We haven't seen it since, or maybe we haven't just got blown up. But design runs for three, four, five, six yards, that's much – you're going further there than, than you are slamming the inside zone against the wall. Of course, against Tennessee, you're running. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that, you know, NFL offenses are NFL offenses, college offenses are college offenses. And, and I'll give you an example of a guy that could flat out dial them up. I mean, and this guy didn't have play calling issues like we have now at South Carolina. Um, this guy just had a hard as hell offense to, for the colleges to learn. And that's Charlie Weiss. You know, when Brady Quinn was there and he inherited those guys, yeah, it was he could dial them up because those guys all knew it. But once he lost Quinn, you know, Jimmy Clausen comes back in and, and, you know, helps them be good on offense at Notre Dame. Well, so then he goes to uh, the NFL back for a year with the Chiefs, and then, then takes that OC job at Florida. Charlie Weiss, South Carolina graduate with Muschamp. <laughs> And that year was a disaster. And, and it, it really shouldn't have been because you had some skilled guys and you had John Brantley, who's a bright kid at quarterback. Couldn't learn it. Too complex. Too hard. Not a college offense. Uh, and that was even more of a smokescreen because Weiss is a provenly, proven good play caller, right? Uh, and Weiss had success on offense at Notre Dame. Really, their, their defense wasn't that good when he was there, so he got fired. But those kids at Notre Dame could learn it. Kids at Florida in one year could not. And the kids at Kansas certainly couldn't. So, you know, there's an example of a guy that outsmarted himself on the college level, you know, his year as a coordinator at the University of Florida where you know, it should be easy to score points. If you if you're a good play caller, and he is, well, we've got serious questions about the play calling here. But then you also have a system that's not designed for college football. So how about that? You know, um, and it's uh, it's one thing I think to take NFL concepts. Everybody steals in this game, right? You know, there's there's not there's original offenses and creative offenses, but. You know, there's not a whole lot of um, uh, non-stolen material, (laughs) I guess, when it comes to offenses in college football. Um, But you got to make sure you can teach it, like I've said, from time to time. Uh, And maybe the red flag, like for me, I should have picked up on was when you do a coaching clinic, you're showing Dallas Cowboys stuff. And, you know, further red flags have been – you know, a lot of public comments about the NFL and all this other stuff. And, you know, this guy does this, this guy does that. And, you know, I'm like, this is college football. You only spent one year in the NFL, (laughs) you know? Uh, And I get back to it. Like I explained earlier this week, some of these guys go up there and I don't blame them. It's great. If you love football and you're a coach, X's and O's guy, and you love dialing up plays. And, and, I, and I strongly believe Marcus Satterfield loves doing it. It's his job. It's his passion. Uh, I think he's a very intelligent person. You know, it's easy to fall in love with those concepts 
and 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 the complication of it because it's 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 what you have to do in that league. It's brilliant. Who doesn't want to be brilliant? But you have to understand where you're coaching. You know, you're you're not even at a college program that realistically, at least for a long time, is going to get the best and smartest recruits in the country. For, not from an academic standpoint, and I, I I think South Carolina's got a lot of smart players. Don't get me wrong, but when you're at Alabama, you know, and, and Alabama again runs sort of a pro style scheme, but heavy RPO. They're, they're a little more like the Chiefs, I guess. I guess it would be the Chiefs. Um, well, they could. They got their pick of elite guys. And they can afford to make that next step at evaluation, both on both sides of the ball, because their defense is complicated a little bit too, although he scales it back. Um, and say, all right, well, you know, we we've talked to this guy's high school coach, and this guy is like super quick at picking plays up and knowing what to do and making sure he's got his assignments down. Um, this guy's 6'4, 200 pounds, runs a 4'4. Well, this other guy's 6'4. 195 runs a 4433. He's a little faster, but his coach from high school level says, Well, you really got to work with him on this, this, and this. He's not really good at getting his assignments. Great athlete, makes plays. So, so, so when you're in Alabama, you can decide, Well, I'm going to take this other guy instead of this guy. I'm going to let him go someplace else. South Carolina, you know, <laughs> you're not turning down either guy. You know, that, that's just how it is. Uh, and I think that was part of the problem on defense. It's not like you didn't have any athletes back there or players. Um, you know, you just got to take the guys that can play and kind of worry about can they handle complex assignments you know, on the football field or not at a later date. And most guys, I'll tell you, at the college level, most players cannot. Most players cannot. I think even at Georgia this year on defense, as good as their defense is, it has taken them a couple of years to make sure it's really in sync. This is the same defensive scheme that last year against Florida, the Gators had 38 at the half in the Gator Bowl in that game. Blown assignment after blown assignment. It's difficult on both sides of the ball. Uh, and if you're Alabama, and again, I know enough about what goes on down there to know they scale it back because Saban's smart. And he sets the parameters for everything. That's why they can plug in a Bill O'Brien or a Brian Dable from the NFL and they can hop right back or whatever and they don't miss a beat because, you know, those guys know here's what we're doing, scaling it back. Uh, and, and so, I, like, like I said, I understand, you know, go to the NFL a year, you get all these things in your head, you're a smart guy anyway, you're a ball coach, you love ball. Up there you work on ball all day, you don't have to worry about class, don't have to worry about recruiting, nothing. You can just sit there and – what are we going to do this week? Uh, all right, well, let's see. Let's take it to the guys. And then those guys are getting paid. Well, it's their job. None of them want to get cut and lose said job. They're there all day learning, and you better learn it. Or you're not going not gonna to have a job. You know, the stakes, personal stakes are high. And that, that's one of the things I love about that league is you can turn on a game that's over uh, or, or a team whose season is over, and the guys are out there playing their ass off because it's their job. You're putting things on tape for everybody else to see. You don't want to get cut. Contracts are not guaranteed. 
big difference between these guys in college, most of whom are away from home for the first time. Most of who never played in front of 70,000 fans, national TV. Um, a couple of them did in high school. Uh, so you're dealing with that spotlight for the first time in your young life. You're away from home. Um, you've got to feed yourself, go to class, feed yourself for the first time. Mom could send a care package every now and then, but you got to worry about taking care of yourself for the first time. Plus, there's girls. Fact of life in college. Uh, not saying the girls are a distraction, but you know, Hey, you're in college. You, you know, you need time to d- devote to stuff like that. Social life. You know, we'll just take girls out of the like social life. Um, and football players have a social life. Uh, and so you're trying to balance that along with class, uh, along with football, along with everything else. Um, Oh, and by the way, the NCAA says you can only spend 20 hours a week football so 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 there's the difference and i strongly believe there is the disconnect um and to get back to tristan's email you know i mean you know i I think you just have to you have to understand where you're at so back to his email he he continues on uh the coach that gave him the the scheme said he told me that it would work way better if we stuck to one scheme specifically oklahoma's it would benefit us greatly it just works better when everything's pulling in one direction. To me, I thought all along we could look like Oklahoma on offense would be all right. I know we're not, and we'll never have talent at receiver like they get. I don't know. State of South Carolina puts out some daggum good receivers, Tristan. Uh, can you get it, get it to be seven deep of studs like OU? Probably not, but you could probably get it four or five. Just being honest here, I mean, you know, 2017, as bad as that offense was, again, somebody went to the NFL and decided they're going to be really cutting edge and awesome with this, put it all on the quarterback. But you had Debo Samuel. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. Brian Edwards. Look at what he's doing. Shy Smith and Hayden Hurst. That's a heck of a group, right? You don't think about it at the time. That's a heck of a group. Um, he says, I know I have talent receiver, but I really think Doty is comparable to Jalen Hurts. Personally, I think Doty has the better arm, so I don't see why we couldn't have similar success thoughts. Yeah, when Luke's – and that's the thing with Hurts, man. You know, Hurts started as a true freshman for Kiffin at Alabama. And yeah, he had Alabama players around him, obviously. But, you know, that they simplified. And when you have a young quarterback like South Carolina does, he's essentially a freshman – it simplifies. So, so another red flag I may have missed is when he said in the preseason, sometimes he's going to look – I mean, compared to Aaron Rodgers, sometimes he's going to look great, sometimes you're going to wonder what he's going to do. Well, to me, that's kind of waving a white flag before you even start the year. You got a talented backfield. You got a returning offensive line. You know, in college football, you got to make do with what you've got. There's no free agency. You know, well, maybe with the portal, but you, you know, come on. I mean, you're cycling young players through. Uh, I know that uh, I'll tell you this per good contacts, Doty hurts. Uh, even dare I say, when he was committed to Carolina, Gunnar Stockton and hurts, that, that comparison has been made. Um, but what they did with Jalen is that they let him get out and run. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe there, there is something to Doty's foot, right? And 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 not 
wanting to run him like they did. And then that's probably why you don't see a lot of the Oklahoma stuff. But, you know, I, I just, you know, uh, he still can run. You know, the problem is you, you go to that, it really kind of started the drive against Kentucky, the one good drive, and you never went back to it. You know, and I think, too, if you're going to do something like Hurts, you got to commit and you got to say, all right, I know your foot's hurt, but we're going to run zone read to death. And you've got to make the right read, you know, otherwise we can't do it. Maybe Dodie's having trouble with that. I don't know. Because uh, we're going to make them pick. Are you going to give up yards to our quarterback? Are you going to give up yards to our running back? And you go do it uh, depending on how Dodie – health wise truly is now watch him and yeah all right so he's he's a fast guy right and you get a running lane or whatever you know you're thinking well he could probably score (laughs) it's a uh, from anywhere on the field at at his full health well right now you know maybe what maybe what could be a 10 or 11 or 12 yard gain is a four or five yard gain that's still rushing yards and eventually, you get five yards a clip, you're going to go down the field and score. They're going to have to account for them. So, okay, so they don't crash. Or they, yeah, or they stop crashing the DN. And then he gives it to Kevin Harris. He's got more room to run or Marshawn Lloyd or whoever. I mean, so if you're, if you're going to do that, you that style of play, you have to commit to it. Um, You know, and I agree, Doty, Doty as a passer, you know, when he has time and he sets up and his fundamentals don't escape him, he can he can sling it, you know. He can sling it. Um, I'll say this: a final about your coach's point. Final point here: blended systems can work at the college level, and you see it. Uh, Steve Spurrier's offense ultimately during the Glory Run at South Carolina was a blended system. Uh, it was kind of GA Mangus's system because Mangus took. Spurs passing game, blended it with a zone read running game at the level of football he was coaching. Sean Elliott comes in. They basically install the App State running game. You got Marcus Lattimore there and all that. And that's sort of what it was. You know, if you, if you, if you notice early Spurrier at Carolina and at Florida, their run game was basically a draw play. Uh, sometimes a tall sweep, and then they throw the option in there every now and then, and it worked. I mean, they had 1,000-yard rushers in Florida or whatever. Because defenses were so on their heels because of Spurrier passing that you know draw play would catch them off guard. 2006 Clemson game, go look at that. But Spurrier had to evolve. So ultimately, Steve Spurrier's offense at South Carolina, when all is said and done, was a blend of the Spurrier's offense and App State's. So that blended system has worked at South Carolina before. And, you know, Spurrier, when he was dialing them up, did well. I don't know how many run plays he called, <laughs> but that's fine. He's gone plays and going good. You look at the um, – I'll give you two examples right now. Uh, you can look at Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, you know, he he's blended what he's done his entire career with a lot of Art Briles stuff that, that he and Kendall Briles cooked up down at FAU. And he hires Jeff Levy, Briles' son-in-law, to come in and uh, he's, I guess he, that's Levy's calling the ball plays now, helping with Kiffin. And so, yeah, that's a blended system that I would say works pretty doggone well. Josh Heupel, the scheme you just saw at Tennessee, 
Levy was there, a lot of Bryles influence in a lot of ways, still going fast like Heibel's always done, kind of got his passing game. It's a little different. So a blended system can work, can work. But, you know, you have to know how to make it work. (laughs) And, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Spurrier, pretty good offensive coaches. You know what I'm saying? Don't know about the current offensive coordinator at Carolina as far as the ability to do that. Um, You know, blended systems, I think, you know, South Carolina fans are probably going – uh, when you say blended system, they're probably going to freak out a little bit because of McCl- Brian McClendon had a blended quote unquote system. Uh, McClendon basically kept 50% of Roper's playbook because kind of like now what the plays the plays were good was when they were called, uh, added some Dan Werner, added a little bit of his own, added some Bobby Bentley and Eric Wolford. And there, there you have the 2018 offense. Um, his problem was they just couldn't adjust once, once they started stopping the primary thing, yeah, he couldn't adjust. But because of McClendon and now because of this, which has been a debacle through six games, I think Carolina fans are going to freak out when you hear blended system, right? Well, don't, because your most successful run ever was a blended system. You just have to have a guy that can do it if you're going to do it, right? Um, And, you know, as far as your friends go, your friend and coaching goes about, the Oklahoma offense and all that. Yeah. I think, I think, I think the problem right now is, uh, is there, there, it's too complicated, you know, and, and I don't, I've never heard anything about Lincoln Riley's offense being too hard to learn or too complicated or whatever. Uh, so I think it's fine to blend concepts and all that, but you, you have to have something your players can learn and then you have to be able to call it. And neither one of those things have happened this year. Thanks, Tristan. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com to get in the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Drew says, hey, JC, I know you've drawn a lot of differences between Satterfield and Roper. The play calling feels very similar. Seems like Satterfield will get into a rhythm and then go away from what's working, like against the balls at the goal line. It reminded me of Roper's play calling. Roper's play calling when he was actually calling plays worked. When he was too dependent on the fancy-smancy RPOs that he learned with the Browns or whatever, put too much on Jake Bentley, it did not. I heard you mention how Roper was the guy that worked for the guy, referencing to when he was an OC, but Cutcliffe called the shots. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Uh, That was interesting because Roper Roper got a lot of credit for that A&M game. And and look, I – when Roper just sat there, looked at the defense, called a ball play when Jake Bentley was a freshman, I mean, you know, the, the games they didn't do well in were games that they just really didn't have a chance. Um, he'd probably been better. I mean, the, the shoot, the Tennessee win in uh, 2016, Jake was a freshman. That was a very well-called game, right? Called him with their pants down on that long pass to Casey Crosby, didn't he? He was just calling it and hauling it like, that was a must champism, by the way. Uh, and Jake was just out there playing. And then when it got too ridiculous, then it got over. They they overly complicated everything in 2017. Uh, but yeah, I, I Roper at the end of the day just lost all feel on game day and all that. He says, "Was well, Satterfield a similar situation when he was an OC for rule? I don't know enough about it. I know that 
they they moved him off quarterback coaching for a while. You know, there's rumors out there about Temple. I, you know, quite frankly, I think the play calling when I've watched Temple from back then looked a lot better than it does this year at Carolina. But it was a lot different. I don't I don't think at the time Satterfield was doing anything like like they're trying to do now. You know, it's more of like a college offense. He said, it makes you miss the time when Spurrier would run the same play over and over until you proved you could stop it. Yeah, that's true. Spurrier would run, keep running that, that uh, those plays over and over. That that's, that's sort of what good play callers do. You can obviously go to the well too many times, but you can really outthink it. And I think that's, that's a problem. I'm, I'm speculating here, uh, and I may be wrong. I don't know what's going through anybody's mind, really. But, but I think almost there's been – when you when you when you you can overthink this a lot, and maybe there's a tendency to go to not want to go to the well over and over because you kind of are anticipate you're trying to like be two steps ahead and you're really not. Uh, in other words, oh shoot, we've been running it well, but they're gonna they're gonna think that's coming next. So let's let's try to do this different and catch them off guard. And that's more of a game of trick you than a football game. <laughs> You know, because you don't fool people for very long. And, and a lot of times it just comes down to players, to be honest. But, uh, you know, you can get very disjointed trying to anticipate second-guessing yourself, if that makes any sense. And and that, that, that could be a problem, too, is that, oh, you know, we've been running – like against Tennessee, we've been running it really well with Harris, so they're going to expect that. So so let's get Joiner in there and, and trick him, you know, real quick. Oh, that, that didn't. Well, let's 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 do the birch play, you know. Like Satterfield said, he wished he'd gotten it out of his head. They'd run it. Certainly, no problems running it in the end zone the other two times they were down there during the day. So, you know that that's what that is. And uh, I agree. I agree with you right there. Thanks, Drew. Inside the Gamecast at gmail.com. Jared says Saturday's Tennessee game was tough to watch. Almost turned it off after the first quarter. Other remaining games on the schedule, minus Vanderbilt, which I hope is a win, but you never know. Do you think we can win enough or have a chance at a bowl? See, this is this is what's so sad about all this is that, you know, there, there aren't over-the-top expectations for this program from this fan base this year. Six and six is not a over-the-top expectation. Teams with a lot less players at Carolina have gotten to six wins. You know, not always, but sometimes. Uh, he says he's thinking Missouri and A&M, but after Saturday night, who knows? How much do you think? All right, so I'll answer this first. You know, Missouri, it's really good that they're bad on defense because, you know, again, South Carolina's got players and, if you don't screw it up play calling wise, you could probably go out there and score enough. And I think Carolina's defense, Missouri's good on offense. Uh, and Carolina's defense has to tighten up against the run. But I, I think with the way Missouri plays, it's run game, it's short passes. There's not as much tempo as, as a Tennessee or somebody like that. Um, you saw in the second half of last year's game where that defense at Carolina shut them down. Um you know, and it's out there, but by the time that cut roll, I mean, and we'll see what happens. But <laughs> the Gamecocks love Missouri turns it around, beats AM this weekend, and they're rolling by the time Carolina goes out there. 
But, um, you know, the way Missouri looks right now, Carolina could go out there and win. You know, if they're still struggling, that program, they're struggling in November. They don't really show up like the rest of the league uh, when things are not good. Uh, Texas A&M winning out there is going to be a tall tale. Uh, You talk about momentum. They've got a ton of momentum right now. You got to go out there in two weeks. It's a night game. Don't know. You know, if their quarterback comes back to earth and plays poorly and turns it over, you know, I I think Carolina's defense can slow them, you know, unlike Alabama did. But if they're on, it's going to be challenging, especially on the road. Uh, And then I just don't – I don't know how Carolina's going to score in that football game against that defense. And I know A&M's defense gave a lot of points to Bama, but everybody does. A&M's got a good defense. Uh, It's not like Arkansas, which has a good scheme of things, uh, and Mississippi State, which can manufacture points, you know, when they beat them. You know, South Carolina's just not doing that right now. Uh, You'd hope against Auburn – and maybe Clemson, if Clemson – I mean, Clemson's players are saying they're going to shock the world with offense now. Uh, they turn it around on offense. You know, there's little chance of victory in the game at the end, but they keep struggling. Sure, you know, you want to win a 16-13 game. Uh, Auburn is not a juggernaut. Uh, I think that we're, we're, we're starting to see their win at LSU sort of come into focus a little bit. LSU's really struggling. Um, but they're good enough to beat Carolina. No doubt. Carolina would have to play well to win. You know, Florida game is at home. I, You know, South Carolina against the Gators, really the last three years, they've given them a game. They've been competitive, but it just hasn't worked out. Uh, the game's in Columbia. You know, who knows? Who knows what the, what the deal will be? I, I think Florida this year has gotten a lot of run off playing Alabama close at home. Um. But I, I, think, I still think there's some question as to how good they really are. And I love Dan Mullen as a coach and a play caller. Love how his system is adaptable to really whoever he's got. That, uh, there you go. Ding, ding, ding. Great college offense. Adaptable to who you have. But, um, you know, who knows? It's in Columbia. Who knows what will happen? Uh, again, Florida's actually better than I expected him to be on defense. But it's Ty Grantham. So, you know, he may, you know, they may blitz the crap out of Carolina. Carolina doesn't know what to do with it. They may blitz the crap out of Carolina. Carolina's throwing long touchdowns. Who knows? He says, how much do you think the loss to Tennessee will affect the recruiting force going forward? It, it, it doesn't really uh, – here's the here's the deal, though. What, what you want to have happen, and this is why I always stress the Tennessee game is important. What you can't have happen is for Tennessee to break away – from the pack. So, cause you know, program wise right now, Tennessee's had some nice wins over Missouri, South Carolina. Um, got, they got four tough ones coming up and then two easy ones. Um, you have to avoid Tennessee coming into the Carolinas and beating you for players, especially in South Carolina in state. Uh, and that's where, a prolonged losing streak to those guys could impact. And then them rising again to what they were could impact because they're right there in Knoxville. It makes all the sense in the world for them to recruit South Carolina. Now, look, that hadn't happened. Ty and Evans and 
Byron Young or Juco guys that ended up going there and actually committing to Pruitt while the Gamecocks were in a coaching transition. Uh, so they do have some South Carolina guys. Jalen Hyatt, the other staff, didn't want him. Uh, but having those guys there and then they start winning and you're still losing, it sets a precedent. And that's that's when you need to sound the alarm bells. You know, like with North Carolina with the Tar Heels, as good as they're recruiting now, have they gone head-to-head the distance between, at two, against South Carolina and beating them on any South Carolina kids? No. They got the kid from Myrtle Beach last year who the Gamecocks were lukewarm about, offered late, got in the game late. They didn't even recruit him that hard. Whatever. You know, they got Storm Duck out of Boiling Springs. Carolina didn't want it. They got uh, the kid from Malden, Deuce Caldwell. Gamecocks have not offered, did not want him. And that's fine. You know, you do have to judge those because later on, if, if they're sitting there and those guys are all ACC and the guys you took from what other other state are not that good, then, you know, like just like with Brian McClendon and the receiver, I mean, you, you judge it on that. But overall, big picture, losing to Tennessee, how does that affect recruiting when they start coming back into South Carolina and getting players? So that's the five-alarm fire, and that's why you don't want to lose to them. But uh, I don't think that that, that one loss is going to impact recruiting right now. Thanks, Jared. I think – thank you. I think you make some good points. So, VJ, Belmont. Belmont game kind 99. All right, buddy. Whew. This is a long one. I'm getting ready for it. Hmm. All right. I've been listening to your podcast for the last several months and really enjoy your unbiased and unemotional approach to the state of Gamecock football. Thanks. I'm glad you feel that way. Not everybody does, <laughs> as I've seen. Uh, I've been a fan and alum since the late 90s, so my experience runs the gamut of downright terrible, somewhat consistent, and all inspiring. Coming into my, the season, my ex- expectations for a new coaching staff, including a first-time head coach, were balanced. In my opinion, Beamer was an excellent hire from the program, an upstart with no baggage, a positive family and individual track record, yet a familiar face to the program whom former players have supported. That said, we as fans need to be patient with his management of the program, including his selection of assistants as well as the development of players. Let's be honest, some of these kids on the roster have had three or four position coaches in the last five years. While I'm not defending the play calling of the current OC, offense is the most challenging to get into a rhythm. Yeah, but you have to look and see why it's not getting into a rhythm. And and look, there have been some drops, drop passes that are killer this year. And I know Justin Stepp works on that, and he's improved the players. Uh, but when you're not getting in a rhythm because your play caller is not into a rhythm, different different type of not getting into a rhythm. Uh, I agree with you. You, you make excellent points. Um, and, and the other thing is this, too, the offensive line, really, they've had the same guy coach until this year for four years. So whatever they're trying to do that's such a dramatic departure from previous years, and, it, and it's not zone blocking versus man blocking because, you know, prior to 2020, Wolford was really a zone blocking guy. Um, but, yeah, so there you go. And, and look, I, I – I think as far as Shane Beamer goes, you know, there, there's not a coach alive that his very first staff, he knocks it out of the park, out of the park. 
especially these days where everything's kind of magnified and, 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 you know, criticism can go beyond the head coach because coordinators are important. They're front and center. Everybody knows who's calling the plays, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's not going to be a lot of guys that get jobs and go, man, I just killed it with this staff. Knocked it out of the park. I was 10 for 10. <laughs> You're not. And nobody's going to do that. Unfortunately, if you kind of evaluate it and say, well, he was eight for 10, uh, even could make a case for nine for 10. That's 900, but the one is killing you, you know, which brings you to my next point flow. Unlike the pros, college football is a game of momentum, highly emotional and downright temperamental at times. College players more than pros feed off the energy of the crowd need to get into the rhythm of the game. Coaches have become too reliant on the preset game plan in game and analytics they need to get back to following their gut, depending on the flow of the game. Know when to ride what's working and grind it out and go to the jug for the juggler, jugular and take the deep shots. Spurrier was a genius here and would often comment about seeing opposing teams struggling, looking tired or out of sort, and taking advantage. Even if it didn't work, but as we all know, more often than not, it did. Absolutely. One one game. At Florida, gosh, they were interviewing this LSU D-back. LSU plays Florida every year, obviously. and They weren't very good when Spurrier was coaching the Gators. and They had a lot of coaches out in Baton Rouge. And This guy says he's over on the sideline. Uh, the play was toward the Gators bench. Spurrier's standing there. and He's audibling to Noah Brendice or somebody and says, throw it to this guy's guy. Throw it to this guy right here. And the D-back looked at him. It's like he couldn't believe it. And then little out pattern, and they completed it on him. And he's like, this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened. Spurrier could kind of dissect that. A lot of good play callers can. Um, and I, I don't see any of that right now. I don't even see Brian McClendon, Kurt Roper. Definitely don't see Mike Bobo. Like you said, Tuesday, this is art versus engineering. I personally don't buy into too complicated and confusing when we have a highly seasoned and intellectual offensive line. Uh, those support players are the backdrop to the art. And it looks like Doty and the skill players are the Bob Ross trying to paint happy little trees after a wildfire of no flow play calling destroyed 48,000 square feet of turf. I'd rather see Beamer and Satterfield learn to flow versus following the march of the pitchforks with fans and media calling for someone's head. College players need to be able to trust in each other, their coaching staff, and their system, and I'd be more impressed to see the adults recognize their mistakes, take accountability, make adjustments, and improve. We aren't as far off as it seems, a convincing win against Vandy this weekend, a strong fight against Missouri in Como, and stealing one against vulnerable Auburn and Clemson at home is a total possibility. Totally possible. I agree. And again, that's what's so frustrating about it. You mentioned the adults recognizing their mistakes, taking accountability, making adjustments and improving. Agree with you there, but that's not happening. Uh, at least not in one instance. I think others it is. Certainly coaches have to adapt. And I think sometimes if you're not willing to do that, you're not a very good coach. Uh, and I agree with the players. Um, I think, uh, you know, it is too complicated and confusing, by the way, on the offensive line. Um, they, There's just no way these guys are playing like they are 
without there being some sort of confusion. Because, and and I, look, I, the 2016 offensive line was a disappointment because Muschamp and some other folks, that they didn't really have much coming back on offense, right? So Muschamp's hanging on to the offensive line. He had three or four starters back. But going into that season for that group to be good, and then look, they got better as the year went on, but they were still – I mean, even the Tennessee win I was talking about earlier – you know, Jake Bentley almost got killed by some of their defensive linemen. Um, that was disappointing from the standpoint of, okay, well, it's supposed to be the strength. Coaches are saying that. Um, maybe a lot of these guys have gotten a lot better on the interior and at tackle or wherever, and they hadn't. <laughs> and they really got a little better in 27. Some of them got a little better in 2017 under Wolford. But the 2018 line was really good for a reason, you know. Um, so you can accept that. Okay, we kind of got bamboozled, and Muschamp was just trying to be positive or whatever. He was wrong about the offensive line. It ended up being uh, – at the end of the year, it ended up being the weakest part of the offense. But you, you look at those players that were coming back and kind of evaluating how they played individually, and you're like, well, these – Maybe they've all gotten better. Who knows? Well, this year, you look at these guys, and you've watched some of these guys play for three or four years, and and they look completely different. Now, sometimes players don't do what they're supposed to in the offseason. It's voluntary workouts after all. Nah, it's nothing like that. These guys work exceptionally hard with Luke Day all offseason. They work exceptionally hard, you know, well, maybe they're just not tough. Or Joe Von Gwynn's not tough. Dylan Wanham's played four years of SEC football is not tough. Jazz Turnitine's not tough. Ja'Kai Moore. Eric Douglas, who you never heard much about Douglas last year because he was stellar. You got a young quarterback calling the protection when he's really – you know, it's good for him to just get the play and go. I mean, I, you know, again, you know, you look at these things. That's what they do in the NFL. Quarterback has to do this, you know, complex blocking scheme because you have to because everybody's good. So, you know, there has to be some layers and complexity to it. Otherwise, that opposing defense is going to figure you out, figure you out quick. They're going to start shooting gaps. And the opposing D coordinator will call whatever the hell he wants. But in college, it's it's different. You have to – your players have to learn it and be able to apply it first and foremost. So uh, – but, look, I agree with you. I mean, the season's not over. I think if you're a Gamecock fan right now, you just – you got to sort of hope and pray that, that some kind of light comes on somewhere in some way, some fashion or the other, uh, and you can scratch out some wins. Uh, you know, they're halfway there already. So, uh, and I've seen seasons turn. Now it's usually because of something. You know, let's think about the seasons that have turned around at Carolina over the years. Late 90s, I'd, you know, I'll maybe take you back till, uh, what was it, first year in the SEC, 92. Well, they started bad. There was a player revolt. A little quarterback named Steve Tannehill as a freshman took over, and they finished five and one and lost by four in the swamp to Spurrier's Gators. And that, that that changed the whole complexion, offense and defense. 2016, they turned it around. Well, I put Jake Bentley in at quarterback. 
There's a turnaround there. Now, first year of Steve Spurrier. How did that season turn? Well, they changed play callers on defense, and that helped them quite a bit. Uh, Tyrode Nix from John Thompson. Thompson just – there was just something off about it. Spurrier didn't like it. So Nix takes over. The defense gets better. Sidney Rice becomes a bona fide All-American. For at least one game, they had Savelle Newton out there. and Spur, Unfortunately, Spurrier finally figured out how to use him uh, that season, and he tore his Achilles, and that stunk. But then they went and won a gritty game at Arkansas, beat Florida, beat Tennessee. So that 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 one turned, and you you could put your finger on the defensive uh, calls because Carolina's defense was you know, against Alabama was getting ran got ran shackled against Auburn got ran shackled. Personnel was not good on the front seven. It was really good on the back end. Co Simpson, Fred Bennett, Jonathan Joseph back there, but. You know, Knicks kind of turned it around. They held Clemson to 13 in a loss, 15 at Tennessee, held the Gators 22, I mean, 10 against Arkansas. Um, so you can kind of point to that. So there's reasons when you, you've seen a turnaround at Carolina that that's happened. Uh, you know, three and three, what's going to give this team a spark? I don't know. You know, maybe it starts with Mandy. Mandy, like I pointed out on the show, not very good. And maybe they they get it in gear. Anyway, thank you, Belmont Gamecock. One more. Jonathan says, glad you mentioned the Art Browse tree. We have to be bold at South Carolina and do something different. Why would we not bring Art in as a consultant today with designs on OC? He has been cleared as the Baylor situation. Well, that, that's one of those things that, you know, yeah, it sounds great. Let's just bring in Art Browse right now. Well, you know, you got a guy that's been a head coach. You got a young head coach. You know, you got a guy that's been controversial. I know he's been cleared, and I think he's probably going to end up at Texas Tech next year. You know, but but you start doing that, and it waves the white flag, you know, with the first-year head coaching staff. I, look, I, if they want to bring in an offensive consultant, I don't care. If it's Art Brawls, great. But But really, though – what what is any kind of person that comes in going to do right now? Really, I mean, what are they going to do to change things? I mean, Mark Satterfield is probably not going to listen. You know, I mean, uh, you know they they've all you know they all run their own thing. Browse, this looks nothing not nothing like that, right? Um, and so they're gonna their plan is going to be to do their thing. And, and can you install that that quick? Maybe I don't know. And I think he confused the players even more. I, I think what probably needs to happen um, is, number one, if Satterfield continues to call it, and that's what Shane Beamer wants for the rest of the year, uh, they need to strip it down and, and, and keep simplifying and try to find a way to get him in a rhythm or Doty or whoever. Uh, don't know if that'll happen. Uh, if they made a change in the middle of the year, which I've heard nothing to indicate they are, then you've got, you know, you, you, you hand it off to somebody else on, on the staff. And they kind of call what you've got. And then maybe, and it's a big maybe, they can get into a better rhythm as a play caller. And as I've said many times, the actual plays, some of them are designed really well. Um, really, the two plays on the goal line were good design. 
They didn't work. It was a terrible call to call them because you have to be more aware of the situation and the personnel and the trends and all that. But design-wise, yeah, they're fine. I mean, uh, DeCarian Joyner had three different choices to make. He, he made the wrong one. He makes it either of the other two. It's a touchdown. You know, and, and, and really at that point, had that been a touchdown, had you not seen the defensive line pass or, the, or, or maybe like you saw it later, it wasn't as bad. But, you know, to me, you, you sort of look at it and sometimes you, you, you kind of look at the offense in different games and there have, been, there have been play calling issues, but there's also been, you know, catastrophic breakdowns up front because of confusion, which is on the offensive coordinator. It is on the scheme. But it's not. But you don't. You can't really tell if it's on the play calling because you got guys running free. No, no play is designed that way, uh, and you don't ever call. All right, we're going to get our quarterback sacked. Um, but you, you, the whole Tennessee game to me was like even the second half. You know, you're not taking the way you get back in a game. You're down 31 points. You're going to have to have some quick scores. Okay. You're going to have to. I mean, it's just that's just how it is. Uh, maybe they were all sitting back trying to prevent that, but you, you got to try to find a way to get one, right? And maybe the, and the, the fake punt was one of those. But on offense, you got to do the same. And they're just kind of methodically driving down the field, you know. And it's not like this offense hadn't taken deep shots. Think about the Georgia game against the mighty Bulldogs against that front. And, and those are the kinds of things that I'm saying. It's just like. You know, there doesn't appear to be, you know, not only no rhythm or flow, but there doesn't appear to be any kind of plan. Like, okay, well, or or feel. I use that word feel a lot. You know, hopefully it changes, guys. Hopefully it changes. I, you know, it, it it's 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 a it's and look, people can say, oh, that's a first year coaching staff. You got to give them a chance. And, and I agree when you're talking about the coaches and the coaching staff and all that good stuff. Um, the disappointment comes with here's what's wrong with the offense and you know it's not it's not fixable right now you know most likely most likely uh and that's unfortunate you know it's not fixable and it's, and it's not a rec- you know it's not something that's going to be fixable in recruiting um there has to be sort of a different approach you know whether Marcus Satterfield's the OC or not this is not working you cannot Put NFL offense in at South Carolina. Promise. There are very few programs you can. And you look around college football and it's obvious. And I'm not saying that you can't take ideas from the National Football League and apply them because you certainly can. Yes, ideas. But this thing they're trying to – I mean, this is this is like calculus. And you have veteran coaches and guys that are around the game a lot that are like that just struggle to understand even what they're doing, you know, and and that's why I feel like I feel, you know, that's why I say like what I say. I mean, you you guys know me. I'm I am not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not as much of a sunshine pumper as some people believe, um, but uh, for me to say it is it it, it takes. You know, irrefutable proof, not just from me and what I see, because I would, 
you know, like I said, as a recruiting analyst, I can tell you pretty accurately if I think a guy can play or not. Nobody bats a thousand with that, uh, but I can bat six hundred with the best of them. Um, I've never been a coach, never been an X's and O's guy. Just you know, would never jump on play calling if it weren't like a consensus and obvious, not only from what I see, but from what I hear, if that makes any sense. And uh, I want to let you guys know that because one thing I'll never do is just like be reactionary and emotional about anything having to do with the Gamecocks uh, in terms of what I say here and on the big spur now. You know, when you watch the games, you know, you probably say a lot and think a lot of things. That's why I wait for probably 48 hours after the game ends to give any kind of thoughts for it to about it because I I don't want to just fire off. Now, I did say something uh, during the Tennessee game, and I stand by it. You know, use that plane analogy, can't fly the plane, and that, that was it for me. But, you know, maybe maybe something changes. Who knows? Season's not over. It's halfway point. There's an open date coming up. Still some games, you know, South Carolina can match up in for sure. So, anyway, prediction again. Again, thanks to Cindy Searfoss for, uh, for sponsoring the prediction Thursday segment, our episode, 864-414-5271. You need real estate services needs in the upstate, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Greenville, Anderson, Cherokee County. Call Cindy, 864-414-5271. Cindy Searfoss, Colwell Banker Kane. Sponsors the prediction. Again, I predicted Gamecocks 23, Vanderbilt 3. Didn't really have a whole lot of keys to the game. I, you know, I, th- I think I'm not saying South Carolina needs to show up and win. Uh, if you want a big, you know, th- the key is get well on defense and stop the run. All right. All right. The Nick Saban, all right. Uh, and on offense, you know, score touchdowns. <laughs> Uh, those are the keys. I mean, it, uh, there's not a big mystery and there's no like, you know, something you can unlock to to beat Vandy this weekend. Like I said, they're really struggling. But, uh, you know, those are probably the keys or what I would like to see uh, out of the Gamecocks this weekend because you want to make sure heading into Texas a and Florida, Missouri, Auburn, Clemson, that, you know, you've got some confidence and – who knows? Maybe you start to get confident and you, you, you get some rhythm to your play calling and maybe it clicks. And if it did, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to apologize for the criticism of Marcus Satterfield and, and telling you why I did it. But, you know, I'll, I'll stop being critical and offer praise. I promise you that. You know, because you got to call it like you see it. J.C. Sherbert signing off. Uh, we'll have the week wrap tomorrow. So be sure to get in your uh, mailbag questions. I'll wrap up the mailbag uh, and also give you some odds and ends as we head into Bandy weekend homecoming at South Carolina at williams Bryce Stadium, 4 o'clock kickoff. All right, folks, have a great day. J.C. Sherbert signing off.